everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, I'm Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. I'm doing pretty well. The rains have finally come to Portland, Oregon. I know most of you probably tune into this program to listen to my sporadic weather reports, so I'm glad to get that out of the way, but I enjoy the fall time season. I've got some eggnog in my coffee, which I believe I talked about this last year. I need to be stopped from being allowed to purchase eggnog and Halloween candy at the same time, especially as this year I have hoarded my Easter candy, so today I can have a Cadbury cream egg and some eggnog in my coffee and a Reese's pumpkin. This is unsettling, and the government should stop me. But they haven't yet, so whatever. <sighs> Let's see, what else has been going on? I was at work the other day, and uh, my coworker Anna and I came up with some uh, some pretty good roller derby names. So, if you're thinking about joining a roller derby, but the impediment is that you don't have a good roller derby name, maybe try one of these. Sandra Deo Clobber, Susan B. Slamthony, or if you're going to be a Star Trek nerd-themed roller derby person, Gina Rottenberry. See, I think that counts as uh, community service. Sure hope my parole officer thinks so. I'm kidding, I don't have a parole officer. I haven't gone to jail for the terrible things that I've done. Although if anybody finds out about this eggnog Cadbury cream egg combo... Anyway, enough of this malarkey. Let's do some different malarkey. We have a very special episode today. It is the New Teen Titans Annual number one, which is the culmination of the storyline that we've been doing recently, and it's a doozy. So, without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Brad Reed. Ahem. <clears throat> To trade for fine cheese is a job for the brave, as to deal for some gouda worth more than a topaz. Needs nerves made of iron, takes a brave man to swap Swiss, or barter for cheddar, or read a synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Brad. That was fun. Yeah, if you guys are submitting rhymes at home, they don't necessarily have to be about the comic book characters. It's sometimes fun if they are, but it's sometimes fun if they're not. So, New Teen Titans Annual, number one. 1982. Final Conflict. Written by Marv Wolfman, drotted by George Perez, with inks by Romeo Tangal. And I realized recently that I've been leaving a fair amount of the creators involved in the comic book process out of the credits at the beginning, and I'd, I'd like to stop doing that because the letterer and the colorist and the editor all make a significant contribution and they should be noted. So, lettered by Ben Oda, colored in by Carl Gafford, and edited by Len Wein. Teen Titan Roll Call, Starfire, Robin, Raven, Wonder Girl, Beast Boy, Cyborg, Kid Flash. Omega Men Roll Call, Shiny Reverse Jesus, Evil Snake Lady, Scary Parrot from Zoobly Zoo, Space Witch, Rock Guy, Nosferatu, The White Guy, Tigor. Previously in the New Teen Titans. Starfire was space-napped by a piece-of-shit sister, Princess Commander. The Titans attempted to pursue, but it went badly. Very, very badly. 
Commander dragged her captured sister back to her bosses on the evil slave-trading homeworld, the Citadel. The Titan's buddy Superman hooked up a rideshare for them with a bunch of space weirdo rebel fighters named the Omega Men. The Omega Men were headed to the same star system where Coriander was being kept, plus they hated the Citadel so much. Good call, Omega Men. Fuck those guys. Back on the Citadel homeworld, Starfire kept escaping briefly, but her evil sister kept recapturing her and beating her up. Bummer. Commander brought her captive sister to her boss, a racist space caricature of Idi Amin named Lord Damon. Not great. Damon ate some of his servants and sexually harassed the superfluous apostrophe having Tamaranian princesses. Then he handed Coriander over to one of his underlings, a shitty little green science alien from a race called the Scions. The shitty little green dude dispassionately said a bunch of science words while he tortured the shit out of Coriander. Fuck that guy! The Omega Men and the Titans made a pit stop on the planet Okara to visit shiny reverse Jesus' mom, the bloodthirsty space god Zahal. Zahal was being kept captive on Okara by her worshippers because if she ever got free, there's a pretty good chance she'd blow up the entire universe or something. While the Omega Men were saying howdy to their mom slash deity, the Citadel forces attacked the planet. Oh, snap! Turned out that the shitty little green science alien came up with a shitty little science plan. He reckoned that if the Citadel kidnapped Zahal, they could use her as a hostage, or a weapon, or something. Zahal remote controlled her son, Shiny Reverse Jesus, into killing the crap out of the invading space jerks. He hated that. So did the newly dead space jerks. Everyone fought everyone. Well, almost everyone fought everyone. Raven waded through the carnage trying to use her powers to unkill the space jerks the Omega Men were killing. Then she got overwhelmed by the bad vibes and her evil demon dad Trigon almost took over her body, which is I guess a thing he might be able to do sometimes. Oh no! But then Raven concentrated real hard and was fine. Hooray! Wally comforted the emotionally exhausted Azerathian empath. Unfortunately, while the Titanic twosome were dealing with Raven's dimensionally displaced demonic daddy issues, the tide of battle had turned against the good guys. Zahal gave herself up to the Citadelian forces in exchange for a ceasefire. White guy was worried on account of the whole sometimes Zahal freaks out and turns into a kill-crazy monster thing, but the dual-natured deity assured him that she would take a page out of Raven's playbook and concentrate real hard so as not to blow up the universe. Fair enough. Robin, Cyborg, and Beast Boy stowed away aboard an enemy spaceship, took the crew hostage, and snuck into the Citadel homeworld. Having infiltrated the Citadel stronghold, the trio of tricky teens made their way to the throne room to rescue Starfire. Unbeknownst to them, they were beaten to their destination by another recent Okaran export, Evil Snake Lady. The traitorous member of the Omega Men had literally slithered her way into the Citadel and offered to betray her teammates to Lord Damon. What an asshole! She volunteered the information that several members of the Teen Titans were on their way. Oh no! Why, that kind of information could change everything. Or absolutely nothing. Robin, Beast Boy, and Cyborg burst into the throne room and proceeded to fuck shit up. At the sight of Starfire's tortured unconscious body, Robin went into berserker mode and took out most of the guards. Guard disarmed the rest, and Cyborg grabbed Lord Damon as a hostage, held a laser fist to his head, and threatened to science punch the despotic douchebag to death unless Commander released her sister. Hooray! Only not so hooray, because the elder Tamaranian princess decided to solve this particular Kobayashi Maru by disintegrating Lord Damon with one of her magic space fire blasts and declaring herself the new ruler of the Citadel. Yikes! Then she announced her plan to destroy her home planet of Tamaran, killing her parents and the rest of the world's millions of inhabitants in the process. Gadzooks! Will Princess Commander succeed in taking the ultimate revenge for being saddled with such a stupid name? K.
Can ravens suppress her father's demonic influence and continue to let trigons be bygones? And why did the Omega Men let Evil Snake Lady join up in the first place? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... Nope. Yes, for the time being. And also, how the hell did it take me this long to come up with the phrase, let trigons be bygones? And probably because it turns out she's Scary Parrot from Zoobly Zoo's sister. <sighs> Man, I would hate to be at that family reunion. Starfire isn't so crazy about commanders blowing up Tamarind and killing our entire species plan, and has an interesting counterproposal that could perhaps best be summarized as, Fuck you, you fucking fuck! Our heroic orange-skinned ingenue busts free from captivity and proceeds to start smacking the shit out of her evil older sister, loudly proclaiming her intention of sororicide. Hooray! Beast Boy Robin and Cyborg follow their teammates' lead and start slugging it out with their Citadel-serving alien captors. Our quartet of costumed crime fighters are clearly outnumbered and are exhausted both physically and emotionally, but are determined to, if nothing else, go down swinging. It is a testament to the dire nature of their struggle that Robin notes that Coriander seems intent on killing Commander, but just this once is willing to make an exception to the Titans' heretofore fairly strict no-murder policy. In fact, Cyborg notes that he himself is okay with killing his alien attackers in this fight, pausing only momentarily to reflect that he sure hopes that killing aliens doesn't lead him to killing other enemies once he gets back home. Jeez, Vic. I think Martian Manhunter, Superman, and a few of your other buddies might have an issue with your viewing Xenocide as a problem only in so much as it might be a gateway drug. Unsettling. The fighting goes on for a few pages, but eventually that shitty green science alien calls for reinforcements, and the numbers game catches up with the Titans. Robin gets lasered in the arm and knocked unconscious, and Vic gets blasted in the back. Beast Boy turns into a giant elephant and starts stomping everybody, but then a group of those farty little Godzilla fucks, the Gordanians, surround him and simultaneously shoot him with their space guns, apparently vaporizing the heroic green teen. Well, shit. Cyborg recovers momentarily and does his best to avenge his Emerald Amigo, but soon he too is overwhelmed and knocked unconscious. Evil Snake Lady has been watching all this shit go down from a secret hidden hole and ruminates on the fact that she's pretty much hosed, the dude she sold her buddies out to is dead, and if her pals find out she's a traitor, even her sister, Scary Parrot from Zoobly Zoo, is going to hate her. Starfire is still duking it out with her shitty sister, but they appear to be at a bit of a stalemate. They are eventually interrupted by the combined forces of the Citadel, who are now led by the Scion who is torturing Coriander. He's all like, Hey, I've got a fun idea. What if you two sisters fought to the death on your home planet of Tamaran? If Commander wins, then she gets to be the new ruler of the Citadel. If Coriander wins, then we won't blow up her planet. We'll throw the whole fight up on interstellar pay-per-view. Fun, right? Also, you don't have any choice. We're totally going to do this. Everyone agrees that that sounds like a fine plan, and off they go. Meanwhile, back on Okara, the Omega Men, Wonder Girl, Raven, Kid Flash, and all the rest of their fighters hop onto their armada of Rebellion spaceships and blast off for the Citadel homeworld. The Omega Men want to rescue shiny Reverse Jesus' mom, Zahal, and the Titans want to rescue their teammates. So, road trip! Don't ask the Omega Men's leader, White Guy. So, what's up with your crappy murder god, anyway? And White Guy goes, I'm so glad you asked. Here is a metric buttload of exposition. 
It turns out that a super long time ago, Zahal was a totally badass warrior who helped defend her planet from those shitty green fucks, the Scions. She helped win the war, and all the 25 planets in the vegan system thought that was just terrific. The Scions ran away, and the vegans all decided to make Zahal their empress. Cool story. Space Witch interrupts White Guy, hooray, and is like, yeah, but then she sure fucked everything up, didn't she? Space Witch takes over as conductor of this exposition train at this point. Zahal was a pretty good leader, but she could have used a good wartime consigliere. She got complacent and didn't worry about defending the planet anymore. The Scions heard about the lower military spending and came back and murdered the crap out of Zahal. Ouch. Then they started futzing around with her corpse. Gross. They jacked her body full of all the radiations they could find and poked and prodded and scienced their science all over her, somehow not only bringing her back to life pet cemetery style, but also converting her into an incredibly powerful being of pure energy. So she blew up their planet. Fair enough. Feel like there's a lesson in there somewhere. Anyway, Zaha was still super jacked up from all the science and torture and radiation and stuff, so she went back to the vegan system and blew up three of the planets she used to govern just for funsies. Shitty. The vegans all got together and sent their best warriors to recapture Zahal's life essence and try to get her under control. Two hundred of them died, but the rest managed to contain her and got her to go down to Okara where they could keep an eye on her and worship and imprison her there. And that's the story of Zahal, and also explains what the deal is with those walrus space yeti monks who trained Starfire and live on Okara. Cool. Anyway... The Omega Men reckon they'd better get their murder god back before she can get loose again and blow up any more planets. Soon thereafter, the pay-per-view event of the century is about to begin. The two Tamaranian princesses are about to get it on because they don't get along. And also because they're being forced into it by the Scion who's currently running the Citadel. But also because they don't get along. The Citadel citizens have their eyes glued to their view screens, and many have placed bets on the outcome of the fight. The shitty green torture aficionado is also watching intently, but for reasons all his own. Turns out, he hates the stupid fucking Citadel, and is planning to use the fight to blow up all their stupid Citadel stuff. Oh, cool. Maybe I was wrong about this guy. No, wait, he's also going to blow up Tamaran and all the other vegan planets as well. Damn it, shitty green asshole! As soon as one of the sisters dies, a charge will be triggered that will detonate, causing an explosion that will destroy all 22 remaining planets in the vegan system. Okay. I mean, don't get me wrong, that's super evil and everything, but if you can make the system go boom, and that's what you're planning on doing, why the elaborate Rube Goldberg device? For a race of super science-logic-worshipping evil dudes, that plan seems kind of... I don't know. Stupid? Needlessly elaborate? Haney-esque? Anyway, Commander and Coriander start fighting. They fight and hit and yell at each other. Commander tells Starfire that their family is dead already, and that she should probably just give up. But for some reason, being told that she is an orphan doesn't calm her down that much, and they keep fighting. Meanwhile, the Omega Men take advantage of the fact that the Citadel forces are all watching TV and begin their attack on the homeworld. Speaking of the Citadel homeworld, that's where we find Evil Snake Lady wandering around talking to herself about how tough it is to be an evil traitor. Poor baby. The soliloquizing Sinister Serpent is surprised when her musings are interrupted by the arrival of a certain shape-shifting teenager. Beast Boy! But... 
I thought he got vaporized by those gassy Godzillas. Turns out, nope, he didn't. Right when they were about to vaporize him, the emerald adolescent turned into a tiny spider and hid. Pretty clever, Gar. He tells Evil Snake Lady to take him to where his buddies are being held captive, and off they go. The unlikely duo soon arrive at the space jail where Robin and Vic are being held. Like everyone else in the Citadel, the guards are glued to the TVs that are showing the big fight and are taken unaware when Beast Boy and Evil Snake Lady bust in. Gar turns into a bear and takes out one guard, and Evil Snake Lady turns into a giant evil snake and chomps the other guard in half. Gross. But also, hooray! Meanwhile, in space, Wally uses his super speed to fly a spaceship super fast and blow up all the Citadel defense shields. Because that's probably how super speed works. It makes spaceships go faster. Sure, why not? Back on Tamaran, the sisters are still fighting and hitting and yelling at each other. Only now they're doing it while they fall off a waterfall. Keen! Commander uses her most powerful magic space fire blast, but bad move, Commander! Starfire tries to warn her, but apparently magic space fire makes Tamaranian waterfalls explode something fierce, and the two siblings are caught in an enormous explosion. Snap! After several agonizing minutes, Starfire eventually emerges from the waters where the explosion occurred. Her sister? Not so much. The villainous commander appears to be dead. Which sets off that shitty green asshole's Rube Goldberg doomsday device. The entire vegan system starts rumbling something fierce. Meanwhile, on the Citadel homeworld, the Titans and Omega Men are reunited. Shiny Reverse Jesus asks his mom what's going on with all the rumbling, but she's too busy to answer him. What's more important to a blood-crazed murder martyr than her family reunion? Murder? Destruction? Nope. Actually, quite the opposite. Zahal uses all of her might and sends her energy scattering across the vegan system, sacrificing herself to destroy all the bombs the Scion and his evil buddies had planted and saving the system from being destroyed. Hooray! The Citadel guys who had been hanging around the Scion are understandably perturbed about the whole betrayal and attempted multiple planetary destruction thing, so they go ahead and eat the shitty green douche. Eh, fair enough. The rest of the Titans head over to Tamarind to meet up with Coriander. Raven uses her powers to heal up the Space Princess's wounds, and everybody hugs. Then Starfire's parents and brother turn up, and they hug her too. Coriander is pretty surprised seeing as her sister told her they were all dead. Man, Starfire's pretty gullible. It never occurred to her that her murderous, traitorous, genocidal sister might also be a... <gasps> a fibber. Coriander tearfully embraces her family and tells them how relieved she is to be back home and how happy she is that she gets to stay there again. Her parents are like, Uh, yeah, about that. You see, it turns out that the whole thing about how if you come home, then the Citadel will blow up our planet thing is still in play, I guess. So, um, yeah, it was great seeing you. Super stoked that you're not dead and all, but, uh, bye. I mean, we love you so much, but, uh, bye. Starfire is justifiably bummed out, but her teammates embrace her and tell her that she'll always be home as long as she is with them. Aw. The end. Oh, and it turns out that Coriander and Commander's brother is named Ryan Durr. 
boring. Pretty sure I'm still going to call him Colander. And joining me once again is my good for many things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? It's okay. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Got a big old comic to look at today. Sure do. What'd you think? Lots of things. <laughs> what are some of them? <laughs> oh, man. It, this was a little bit more coherent than the last lots of things issue. It was. I loved this comic book, honestly. It was dense with action, but in a way that wasn't kind of incomprehensible. It didn't feel rushed. It was really good. I spent most of the last week pretty sick. And so when I first read this, I think I still had kind of a fever, but I got very swept up in the story of it and it felt appropriately epic and the stakes felt real and I cried a little at the end. Epic sister fight. Yeah, yeah. Giant. The, the, the reuniting with her family and then being like, no, you have to leave. Everybody was crying. Man. So I have some questions about that. Okay, let's hear them. So the reason that she has to leave, is it because of the pact that was the conditions of the fight? No, it's her initial reasons for having to leave. Refresh my memory. She was sold into slavery to the Gordanians so that they didn't blow up her planet. Oh, so if she stays, they'll just come back and blow up the planet? Yeah. So, okay, that seems dumb to me because we just witnessed the entire unblowing up of... 22, 24 planets because yeah. Zahal and things. Yeah, I agree. It, it seems like specious reasoning. I think maybe her parents had just converted her room into like a sewing room or something. They just, it's just... like, we've got the exercise bike in there. I'm so sorry you can't move home, Coriander, but it's the Gordanians. They'd blow the place up. Um, Sorry. But Dick loves you, so it's cool. Yeah, yeah, you've got a new family, I guess. Yeah, I was not happy with her family in general. Also, Ryan Dar. Yeah. That's a dumb fucking name. I, I wanted him to be named Colin Dar. I remember. Um, Ryan Dar is a dumb fucking name. Yep, I wrote it down. Yep. Boo. I think his name is still Colin Dar. Salamander. Oh, it could be Salamander. <laughs> Maybe that's their uncle. Mm. Like the kitchen, name. the kitchen kind. Oh, the kitchen kind, not the newt kind? Yeah, like a broiler. Maybe he's both. Because it goes with colander. Mm. Oh, it does. Good mm -hmm. thinking. Mm -hmm. What else? Blender. <laughs> Friolator. <laughs> Refrigerator. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, jeez. Blender's twin brother immersion blender. <laughs> There are many things in a kitchen. Uh, yep. <laughs> a lot of them end with R. That's true. So another thing that happened in this issue is we get a little bit of a walk back on the Branksians. Right. I feel like in the previous issues, they, they were starting to come across as pretty sympathetic creatures that were like pressed into service that really just wanted to go home and didn't want to be on this cold planet. They wanted to be back with their families. And in this, they are kind of recast as bloodthirsty killing machines. Their only purpose is to make wars. Yes. Meanwhile, the first battalion of Brank's warriors arrives, anxious for the battle to come. They receive their nourishment and strength from the death of others. They are the ideal warriors. They live only to kill. Yeah, it seemed like they also lived to go home and spend time with their family on their swamp planet. 
before they get eaten by dragons. Yeah. Like, it's weird. I wonder if maybe they felt, oh, we fucked up and made these guys too sympathetic. We want to have more of them die. And for you not to be mad at the Omega Men and the Teen Titans for mm -hmm. killing them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, forget that stuff from before about how they're people. That was just like one guy, and he was like the one nice one. The rest of these dudes are assholes. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry. They're, they're all terrible. Mm -hmm. We do get to meet another one by name, and we get a little bit of his backstory. And so it seemed like it was setting up for him to die immediately, but then he didn't. There's the dude that lives on like the Watch. Watchtower. Mm -hmm. I mean, not like the JLA Watchtower, mm -hmm. but like Citadel Watchtower mm -hmm. Fortress. Yep. Bob Dylan Watchtower. Yep. All along it. He lives all along that watchtower. Mm -hmm. And... It's <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> and the Omega Men ship is coming in. And he spots it and he sends out an alarm. And we get like two pages of what his name is, what his thought process is, the fact that he momentarily feels proud of himself, which everything I have read in a comic book up until this point leads me to believe, okay, he's going to be vaporized instantly. Sure. But then he doesn't. Nope. It's like, and then it just like cuts away from him and it says, he did a good job. Mm -hmm. His battle stations were solid. And it had nothing to do with the plan. I couldn't figure out why they bothered even including that bit. Did you have any idea why? No. Okay, good. Yeah, I same deal. I was like, wow, good job, Brinksian. Yeah, I guess. And then, so and what, then a what? guy did his job. Are we going to do like another cut to a like, this Brinksian fast food worker? is having a rough day. He just wants to go home to his Branksian kids, but this one asshole in line ordered four cheeseburgers. He didn't want to, but he made all four cheeseburgers. He felt pretty proud of himself. Good job. Good job. That has as much to do with the story as this bit did. It was a weird thing to include, and it very much felt like Maybe there was some kind of a last-minute rewrite or something, or... Yeah, it could be. I mean, they did and needed something to kind of segue the Omega Men's battalion attacking the planet, but they could have just said they fly up and start attacking and they get shot at, which is essentially what this led to. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't think you gain anything from that if you don't just have the Omega Men ship approaches the Citadel homeworld. Like, that's really all that happens. Like, they there, there are some... They are detected. There are some defenses, but they are detected. I didn't understand why that was there, and it felt like a weird, like, dodge and feint because I kept waiting for that guy to get killed. Mm-hmm. Maybe he did. Yeah, I mean, a lot of Brenks guys get killed, including many of them by our heroes. Not just the Omega Men this time. Cyborg kills a bunch of Brenks dudes. He doesn't feel great about it. He doesn't feel great about it, but he doesn't feel that bad about it. I think it seemed more like he was just worried that killing them would be a gateway drug. To killing people back on Earth. Yeah, which felt weird to me. I get that, and we've talked about it before, they're in a war, and previously they've always used non-lethal force. It doesn't feel great to me that he's okay with killing sentient beings that are aliens. It feels weird, especially as we've already seen that the Branks dudes before are maybe pressed into service. Not an uncommon thing, though, in comic books, right? To, like, make the violence, the exciting violence, okay if it's not perpetrated on humans. Yeah, I, I guess. Not really excusing it, but... No, no, I know what you mean. I feel like it's way more common, and I might be just thinking more of cartoons and shit that they'll make it robots. Mm -hmm. But I know what you mean, but it felt weird to me. 
and I wasn't totally comfortable with it, which I guess makes me kind of a hypocrite because I was talking before about the fact that, yeah, they're in war. They can't be horrified that there's killing happening if they're going to wade into battle in a war. But just throwing that out the window felt weird. Mm -hmm. Uh, Especially there's the other scene that didn't make a ton of sense to me is after Cyborg and Robin get freed by Beast Boy and Demonia. They get freed and they're like, oh, quick, there's breaking the action. Everybody, now's when we make our break for it. And Vic says, yeah, I will. Just one more thing. And he goes back and picks what seems like just a random Brank's guard guy and punches his face through something and I presumably kills him. What was that about? My reading of that was the thing was a, like a monitor or a screen and he had to destroy the screen to engender their escape so that they wouldn't get detected later that didn't seem like the tone of what he was saying it definitely had a feel of yeah i just got to take care of something real quick i gotta go kill this dude Mm. maybe i'm reading it differently to me it read as like a vengeance thing does he grab the dude's head and smash it through the monitor yeah Mm. Yeah, I don't know. It, it seems like a... something that he is doing for his own personal satisfaction. At that point, he knows that Beast Boy's alive, though, so it's not like it's the guy who killed Beast Boy. The guys who are guarding them are Gordanians, so it doesn't seem like they were mistreated by that particular dude. It just seems like maybe Vic's got a taste for killing Branksians. Maybe yeah, so. In a second, pal, just got some business to take care of. And yeah. he thinks it. He doesn't say it, too. They don't really explain why he does it, so it does seem kind of murdery. Yeah. I, I think he's just got a taste for murder now, which doesn't bode well for the future, necessarily. That's a bummer. Yeah, kind of. Mm. It's a dark issue in general, and we've seen that as the storyline progresses, that this idea of non-lethal versus lethal means has kind of changed. I think Robin feels not great about it, but he's like also... Well, this is what we have to do. Yeah, and he is perhaps uniquely suited for that kind of both moral black and white, but somewhat ethical ambiguity by the way he was raised by Batman. And he goes into that a little bit, just Mm -hmm. like, man, having Batman as your dad must have sucked. Push through the pain. He straight up fucking made a bonsai tree of a human being out of Robin. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, I'll grow it in some gravel, and here's what happens. Uh, I want to make an interesting shaped crime-fighting person, so I'll withhold this, and I'll... Don't let it get too big. Nope, nope, gotta keep pruning away that ego. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Right, all right, well, okay, you're you're developing well, but now you'll read these Roald Dahl books while you are being punched in the tummy constantly. Yeah, probably. <laughs> like, just weird shit like that, it seems like. Just from him talking about being raised by Batman, I learned never to let pain influence or distract me from what I was doing. It's like, that is not good parenting. <laughs> James and the Giant. But, <laughs> The other Titan that we concentrate on a fair amount in this is Beast Boy. And he is the only one, like, during the battle, he is doing his, his part, fighting everybody. And the first time we see him, he's turned into an octopus. And he's strangling like eight of the whatever Lord Damon was before he died Mm -hmm. and seems like he's doing a pretty good job in the fight and he's saying like guys I could use a little help over here I've got eight arms but I could use some more Mm -hmm. and everybody else is going through whatever they're going through 
he is the only one talking. Everybody else is thinking their stuff. Mm -hmm. He's keeping that Spider-Man-like chatter going on. And I thought that actually made sense with his character. Mm -hmm. And he's talked before about the fact that, much like Spider-Man, he's talking to keep himself sane and to kind of talk himself into the false bravado that he is displaying. But it is weird that he's at specifically asking questions of people that are around him, and they are just not talking to him. They are thinking shit, but not responding to his questions. And that's kind of a weird look for a team. It's probably par for the course. Yeah. I bet when they're super stressed out and they're busy fighting a bunch of other people, they're outnumbered, outpowered, and Beast Boy's <laughs> yammering on, they just sort of turn the volume down. I wonder if, to, to a certain extent, in other fights we will ever see one where he's doing his standard, like, running commentary, blah, blah, blahs, and then we see the thought bubbles from the other teammates around him just saying, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> yeah, no, I think they just tune it out like, right. a, like old married couples. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We do mean somebody else who has a external monologue rather than an internal one. Oh, Jesus. And it, I thought it was kind of funny that Beast Boy was the one who called her on it. Yep. There's a really fun scene where Demonia is sneaking around and saying like, oh shit, I done fucked up. Mm -hmm. I sold out my teammates and sister. We find out that Harpus. Yeah, the fucking scary zoobly zoo parrot lady is in fact Demonia's sister. That's very confusing to me. That is a weird family tree, man. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure they were both subjected to horrific scientific experiments by uh, the Citadel. Oh. Possibly by the Scions. That kind of seems to be their That's deal. That's their deal for sure. Um, but yeah, so we find out that there's that, that sibling going on. I would assume that Demonia is the older sister. Why? Oh, because she's evil, Corey. <laughs> 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 that's right that's right i forgot about how that works yeah yeah well that's okay i understand i mean in the defense of commander it is it has to be difficult to have a younger sibling that is just viewed by everyone around them as being pure good and brilliant and mm -hmm. a superior warrior and beloved by all. Next in line for the throne, even. Right. I mean, that's got to be really, really difficult. Isn't it, Corey? <laughs> Since you have no idea. <laughs> Well, I'm sorry about that, and I'll try to have more compassion for you and Demonia and Commander. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> for those of you listening along, he had a really nice, compassionate, slash condescending, <laughs> slash hand, grin. <laughs> hand on the shoulder for that soliloquy. Thank you, Hub. No problem. But yeah, we see Demonia has this thing where she is straight up narrating her thought process. And ends it by saying, Demonia will come out on top still. Still. Yeah. And Beast Boy wakes up and is like, hey, so you want to help me rescue my buddies? And she's like, oh, you're not dead? Uh, uh, yeah, of course I will. I'm totally on your side. And Beast Boy calls her on it and says, yeah, you know, I'd be a lot more inclined to believe you if you didn't speak all of your thoughts out loud. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, kind of pot-calling the kettle uh, self-narrating, but... <laughs> yep. And, and then ends it by saying, so Demonia will come out on top, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty funny. That was pretty funny. Then later, when they bust out, Vic and Robin from 
their imprisonment by the Gordanians. Mm. She goes full on giant dragon head chomp chomp attack and kills one of the dudes. And he goes, you didn't have to kill him. You could, we could both shape change. I could have just trampled him a bit. Mm-hmm. And she goes, Demonia fights only to kill. Mm-hmm. And his response is, remind me never to go out on a date with you. Yeah, weird. So is non-lethal combat a big part of his date, generally? That was such a confusing statement. More and more as we read these, it is becoming clear that Beast Boy doesn't understand the things that he is saying. No, he's like, you probably know some people that, in the attempt to be funny, will just say nonsense sometimes. Yeah. I think that he has some of that and it just comes out. It specifically seems to be when it's he's trying to be, like, sexy or flirtatious or playful. He'll just, like, these are sex-implying words, right? Yeah, and date like, fight. Yeah. You're not making any sense, buddy. He is doing the equivalent of the, yeah, that's what she said, where it does not apply. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, I think we've all heard far too much of when it does apply and when it doesn't apply. Mm-hmm. But... I bet right now, wherever he is, Beast Boy is riding that joke real fucking hard. Mm. That's what she said. Ah. See, it didn't really work. It was very Beast Boy appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for that <laughs> to drop. One of the other fun things that happens when they bust Vic and Robin out of their prison is maybe one of my favorite conversations that has been, happened in this book to date, mm. which is his guards are two Gordanian dudes who are talking about getting space diarrhea when they go on various vacations. Yeah, it was uh, Euphorics. Yeah, Euphorics appears to be like their hot vacation destination. At a few different points in this comic, various guards of various races talk about their plans to make a little space money Mm -hmm. and take a space vacation to Euphorics. Mm -hmm. Which I think is, it sounds like Euphoria, so... Mm-hmm. Some kind of like a Risa type pleasure planet. Mm. I think that's where Callisto, Callista, mm-hmm. where the purple eyes, where the yeah purple eyed space witch is from. Mm-hmm. So I guess there's a lot of like ladies with Dracula collars there. So everybody wants to go there on vacation, but mm-hmm. apparently when you go there, the water is not potable, and you get space diarrhea for weeks. Yep, it repeats on you for weeks. <laughs> I thought that was really just like, oh boy. It's nice to know that even in space, people are just like, oh, don't go to that planet. You'll get space diarrhea for weeks if you drink the space water. Yeah, yeah. Don't eat the street food. No, it's so good, though. Mm. So good. I, I would <laughs> totally go to Euphorics and eat a undercooked lobster burrito. Yeah, not so much. So the Omega Men seem like they're kind of bad at war. But it is their craft. Yeah, I, I mean... Looks like they put their 10,000 hours in. Seems like they should be better at it by now. Mm. But it seems like, at this point, their enemy is in total disarray. They literally have no leadership. Like, the top, like, three in command, basically, have all just been bumped off. There's huge amounts of infighting, and they seem to just be like, well, we'll back off for a while now and let them regroup. Why aren't they in there smashing shit, like, right then? They seem to just be resigned to, like, they'll regroup and they'll be stronger than ever, but I guess we'll give them some time to do that. Was their mission to destroy the Citadel or just to get Zahal secured? Well, their initial, when they started their mission, they're, like, the rebel forces against the Citadel. Mm -hmm. 
Like, Zahal hadn't been captured when they started their mission. They had ended up, like, palling around with Superman, and they decided to give the Titans a lift back to the general area because it was on their way when they were going to go marshal the rebel forces to do this big invasion thing. Like, I don't get why they're not pressing their advantage now. Like, it's really weird to me. And along similar lines to why the Tamaranians aren't just like, yeah, the Citadel's pretty fucked up right now. Yeah, you can come home. I mean, I guess, like I said, they've got the exercise bike in her old right, home. Right. But I don't know. It just didn't quite sit right with me. I, I would think that the Omega Men would be more like, yeah, we just smashed our opposition. Let's dismantle their infrastructure. Let they're they're fucking evil slave traders. Let's let's bust them up. They're they seem like they're pretty much done. Or they should be. Maybe they needed Auron on board and he's just so focused on mom. Man, that guy's got serious mom issues. Mm-hmm. I also was reading his dialogue like I would Doctor Strange's. Mm. I think it was partly because he condescendingly called somebody friend in the same sentence that he called him like a barbarian or something. His treatment of brute reminded me a lot of the way that Strange treats the Hulk. Mm -hmm. Kid Flash says, Watch it, Donna. These Citadel creeps are all over the place. Brute says, Good, then there are more for Brute to crush. And Oron says, No, my barbarous friend. We are only here to find Zahal. Only she matters to Oron. Her powers control me. I, who am her only son, I, who have always striven for peace, have been turned into her instrument of death. So says Oron. Lot of eyes and me's in that sentence, buddy. Mm-hmm. Actually, no me's, just Oron's. You're still talking about yourself in the third person. Yep. So swears Dr. Oron. Mm. I didn't like Oron very much. Really? Yeah. You know who else I didn't like very much? Hmm. Zahal. Kind of a shitty god. Uh, yeah, but also portrayed in a somewhat sympathetic manner. The way in which she ascended to godhood was... I don't know really how to describe that whole process. Uh, post-mortem scientific experiments. All of the radiations. All of the radiations. Yeah, so here's the thing. As soon as she was a god, she has been a real fucking nightmare. Sure. Like, real piece of shit. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem like the kind of god you worship. Like, she was a great leader. Seemed like a pretty decent lady. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, seems like she was a good leader, decent lady... Pretty good leader of the world, but I guess didn't spend enough on the military, according to Callista. Well, yeah, I mean, they let their defense spending go totally in times of peace. Yeah. Hmm. Mm, real problem. Yeah, needed a, a Reagan in there. Oh! Well, it <laughs> works for the, the timing. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I Gosh, think I wonder, does that mean... Do you think when Jimmy Carter dies, the Scions are going to experiment with his body and he's going to blow up our planet? No. <laughs> No, he's great. He gave the Panama Canal back to the Panamanians. Dude, you will get no argument from me. Big, big Jimmy Carter fan. Okay. A poor humble peanut farmer who gave up his whole peanut farm to avoid there being any conflict of interest. His beloved family farm. Yep. We could take a page. Yep. America. Yep. So no, he's not going to come back as an angry god. Well, I would hope not, but this is what happened with Zahal. She was a good leader, peaceful leader. Didn't do have a ton of military spending. And then the Scions came and killed her and then double killed her and then subjected her to 
incalculable radiations. She was only a peaceful leader after being a, a brilliant and ostensibly ruthless military leader, though. So more of a Eisenhower. I guess. I like Zahal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> buttons. Yeah, but she was worried about the military-industrialist complex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she, yeah, she's more of a, yeah. Mm. She's more <laughs> of an Ike. Yeah, I really like the idea of Starfire wearing a I like Zahal <laughs> pin. But yeah, the phrase incalculable radiations seems to imply that perhaps the Scions are not as good at science as they think they are. It was probably just a psionic error. Like, one of their guys was supposed to be counting and got distracted <laughs> and went back and was like, oh, how many radiations? See, were we I at? think it is probably more a matter of uncalculated than uncalculable. Because you can count the amount of radiations that they have given her, and they probably should have, and maybe their planet wouldn't have been destroyed if they had. I don't know. I don't think that they were like a thousand radiations is the right amount to do whatever it is we're trying to do. I think they were just like, let's see what happens if we hit this all the radiation button. Which is a problem that I have with the Scions. Obviously, they seem like real fucking dickbags. Fuck those guys. I, I hate their fucking Vulcan talking Greedo looking faces. Ooh. Obviously. <laughs> oh. But. My main problem with them is I don't like the idea of a race of people that are painted as being very logical and only logical being evil douchebags like that. It seems to say that, well, sure, it is our emotions that make us make good decisions, whereas if you just base things on logic, you'll be evil and shit. And that's just not the case. Like, it is more logical to be nice to people. Mm. Like, it's not inherently evil to operate from a base of logic, and that's something that comes up in fiction and science fiction a lot. Yeah, but it also assumes that morality and emotion are completely tied together. What yeah. if they're separate? Like, for these guys to have no emotion doesn't mean that they can't be evil. I know I know what you're saying is that, like, they're okay. all, about, all about science, but, yeah, maybe they're... they're it says just that they're all about fix. science and they're all about logic. It's not logical to do the things that they are doing. No, they're using science and logic as tools of dictum. Dictum? Yeah, why not? <laughs> I don't know. It, it didn't sit right with me. It, it's I think it's taking it's... kind of an anti-intellectual tack that I find unsettling. Well, fortunately, their grasp of the scientific method is has some holes in it. Sure. I mean, I guess they did have a hypothesis, which is like, <laughs> if we use all the radiation, something will happen. <laughs> and it sure did. Commander has a interesting plan for fighting her sister. Tell so, lies to make angry? Yeah. Mm. I don't get, like, her whole thing is, I can beat Coriander because... She wouldn't kill. She's fundamentally soft. Wouldn't telling lies that make her very angry not help you in that situation? I suppose not. I mean, and it certainly doesn't seem to work, whatever she was trying to do. No, it was a fail. It seems like it would make more sense to go the other way. I, I think that maybe Commander, if she was very angry, would be more likely to make a mistake. But if her whole thought process is that coriander is too good and kind to kill then goading her into a battle rage seems like a losing strategy 
Maybe her logic was she'll be so bummed out about mom and dad and brother that she'll just be sad and will be like, eh, fighting's not fun. Yeah, maybe that's it. Didn't work, but... No, it didn't work very well at all. She was thinking. Also, I had never realized until this issue that Commander can't fly and Coriander can. What's up with that? That seems like a huge fucking advantage in a fight. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't get why Commander can't fly. Like, she's got the same crazy space hair. Maybe... No. I was gonna say, so there was a part in there also where they talk about Commander spent... Too much time learning star bolts and not enough time learning physical strength things. And that's oh. why she got tuckered out. But Do you flying think... is not a physical strength thing. You wouldn't think so. But is it possible that Commander just doesn't have a happy thought that she can hang on to? And that's why she can't fly. No, probably. Yeah. she. Oh, man. She needs to keep her happy thoughts. She doesn't have any, man. No, well, that's your, that's your problem. Not your problem, I Corey. Have I have plenty no, of happy I know, you got lots of happy thoughts. Fly around like yeah, a bird. fly around like a goddamn jet engine. Just, just thinking those happy thoughts. Whiz. Second star on the left and straight on till whenever the fuck I feel like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think you got it sorted out. Glad to hear it. Why do you think they blew up? Over seven falls? Yeah. Yep. That's the question. <laughs> that is the question. Because, okay... So they're fighting over the waterfall, and Commander's like, oh, I'm going to starbolt you so bad. Yeah. And Coriander says, no, Jesus, do you know where we are? Don't do that. And she does anyway, and they blow up. Right. And there's volcanic fury. Sure. And that's my only clue. So you think, like, the starbolt ignited some volcano that was nearby? I think there was a Like, maybe some kind of a gas, like a natural gas leak underneath it. A volcanic gas area sure which seven falls is famous for obviously i mean like four of the seven falls are just like uh gas gas falls <laughs> liquid gas falls yeah liquid gas falls uh-huh it's very cold <laughs> <laughs> has to be cold for gas to be liquid right oh yeah very okay there you go science okay. right there, that's how you do oh, science boy. you scion you scion scion idiots jeez i don't even know about the seven falls of gas <laughs> But yeah, man, I guess Commander should have just brushed up on her Tamaranian geography. Mm-hmm. Yep. We were talking earlier about <laughs> geography and came up with the phrase geographist. And then uh, that would be a pretty good superhero name. Sure. Geographist. Yeah. Map punch. Punch all the maps. Yep. Or would that be cartographist? Cartar. Oh, boy. That's their, those are Nemesis. their mortal enemies. <laughs> Cartographist is the older sibling. Ah. Uh, <laughs> Very evil. Of course. Very. <laughs> misunderstood, really. Well, I mean, it's just that Geographist is a being of pure light and goodness. Mm. And uh, everybody, everybody loves Geographist the most. <laughs> Flying around thinking his happy geography thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, no, I feel kind of bad for cartographist. We should. (laughs) (laughs) He studied those maps so hard. Yeah, geographist just memorized a bunch of state capitals. Mm -hmm. Yep. I took geology classes. It was fun. That's geology, not geography. Yeah, rocks. Yeah. Never mind. (laughs) Kid Flash. He gets into a space war fight, and because he has super speed... He can fly a spaceship really good, and he can see laser blasts. That's pretty dumb. Yeah. 
I get that having really good reflexes is very important. It can't make your spaceship faster. It can't make your spaceship dodge lasers, which is what it seemed to be implying that it could do. I was gonna write some notes on this, and I just ended up drawing the emoji of, like, the little, the face with the slant mouth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just being like, hmm. Yeah, I don't have a ton to say about it. It's just like, that's dumb. Like, don't get me wrong. Having very flat, fast reflexes would make him a much better spaceship driver. But you don't need to take it to that crazy level of having him fly his plane around laser blasts. Yeah. Specifically, that line pissed me off. His super speed vision yes. enabled him to slow everything down. And then he could fly the spacecraft like the Auto Man car from the 80s television show. The show Auto Man? Yeah. I don't know Auto Man. Ottoman? Ottoman? Yeah, no, I think it's Ottoman. I don't yeah. think it's Ottoman. <laughs> just a bunch of Turkish Yeah, guys. just a Tur- ancient Turkish empire. Yeah. No, it was like a computer car that could take 90 degree turns. Oh, I mean, that's that's cool. Yeah. How do you think you'd fare in a fight against Turbo Teen? Um, is there water nearby? Oh, that depends, man. I don't know. This is too much. Too many variables? Too many things. Right. Not enough science. Oh, boy. Maybe that could be a topic on a Smash Fiction podcast. They could have Auto Man versus Turbo Team. Ah. I would totally be into that. Mm-hmm. All right. I think Auto Man. Dan, Kit, Megan, Bob, set that shit up. Okay. Yep. Plan. You think Auto Man? I haven't seen the show since I was like a little kid, so my memory is very fuzzy of it. But I think the show is about it like a regular dude, but he has this fancy computer car. So like a Knight Rider type situation. But I can't remember if the car is in, like, a Tron situation or if it's in real life. I think it's in real life. Oh, so it's a live action show? Mm-hmm. Oh. But he's got this friend called Cursor. That's, like, this little blinky, like, computer cursor. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. I kind of want to watch that show now. Yeah, we should find it. Yeah. It's on now the I want there to be a as... live action uh, turbo teen. Oh. All right. That kid was so dumb. Get to work. <laughs> You would always forget, right? You would forget. <laughs> hey, Turbo Teen, you want some spicy food? You'd be like, yeah, sounds great. Mm. Eat some spicy food. Oh, no, I'm a fucking Trans Am. Goddamn Cause, idiot. Because he drank the water? Being hot would turn him into Turbo Teen. Drink, er, water would then turn him human again. Oh, I had the opposite. Yeah. Or I just had the water right. connection, not the spicy food hot yeah, part. No, it's it, but it was any kind of hot. Mm. Like, I think presumably, like, he was a teenager... I wonder if being horny turned him into a Trans Am, too. Like, if getting hot that way. Because mm-hmm. I feel like if spicy food would do it... Hot then, under the collar yeah. would do it, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I'm saying. Okay. That kid must have always been a goddamn Trans Am. Yep. It's a real Bruce Banner situation. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> ready to get into the minutia? I just had one other thing I wanted to touch on, which is, what is up with anthropomorphic lizard people? In this issue, we've got Gordanians. Sure. We've got uh, Demonia. Yep. And the Scions. Yeah, they're all dicks. Mm-hmm. They're all green and all lizardy. Yeah, man. Maybe lizard people are no good. Oh, getting back to that old chestnut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I guess that, Didn't we have that seems to be the takeaway. Didn't we people one time? It's difficult to remember because that was in the episode that we drank... A flight of Manhattans. Oh, yes. <laughs> during. And I think really one of the main mistakes that I made in that issue was they were a flight of full-size Manhattans. Mm-hmm. So we had four Manhattans each within the space of, 
I'm gonna say about 15 minutes because it was just during <laughs> that was too much. the recaps of these mini stories. But yeah, towards the end of that, I was reminded recently of the fact that I did, I believe, end the episode by saying, I love you lizard people, but you're horrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you're supported by... By Wolfman, by certainly. Wolfman that seems to be his general thesis statement with this issue. Lizard people are terrible. Murdering aliens is okay. And, and as long as you have love, you're at home anywhere. Oh, that's nice. That's how it ends, Good moral tying it together. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, and older siblings. (laughs) 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 As Wolfman, man, not me. I think you're you're Uh great. Well, thank you. Yeah. That's very sincere. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. Hit it, Rick. (laughs) (laughs) We got minutia. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. So, minutia-wise, what do you feel like hitting first? How about the Bozone? Okay, let's take this party to the Bozone. <laughs> what instance of a character calling another character a Bozo, either literally or metaphorically, would you like to discuss? It was a little puzzling to me because I felt with the amount of dialogue and exposure that Beast Boy has in this issue, there would be a plethora of these things to choose. It from. was really hard to find one. It was. Yes. I found only one. Okay, what was it? And it was on page 20 where Beast Boy refers to Demonia as Snake Lips. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, not like a super huge disc. I mean, she's kind of a snake everything. Yep. I decided to go with, I believe it was... I mean, it's really, it, it's another one where it's kind of a little bit harsher than a bozo, but it is Starfire talking to her elder sibling and saying, I always saw you as some kind of terrible war machine, so horribly powerful. But in truth, you're not powerful. You're weak. You're spineless. And now I laugh at ever having thought that you were better than I. Damn. You bozo. <laughs> I think one of them calls the other one a dog. Yes. And, and I believe not just a dog, an incompetent dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That was a good zinger, too. Yeah. Incompetent dog is really something, man. Mm-hmm. It's like, you're not even good at being a dog. Can't catch a tennis ball. No way. Don't know how to pee on things. Yeah, good luck licking your own junk. Uh-huh. Can't do it at all. Incompetent dog. <laughs> the worst dog ever. <laughs> not you, Finley. You're a good boy. My own very competent dog is uh, curled up at our feet right now, being very cute. So there. What next? We talked about that there was a dearth of Bozone entries. You know what there's not a dearth of? Sound effects. Oh, true. Let's hit up the sound effects. All right. What was your favorite sound effect? Let's start with one that I'm uncertain of how to pronounce, and it's the noise on page eight. And not one, but two panels. The noise that lasers make. Ooh. And I think it is... Spring! Oh. Or... Spow! Corey, those are Ds. What? Well, that makes it even more confusing. Spada-dam! <laughs> Dizzy Tang. That's like uh, something Pootie Tang would say. It totally is, and that's why I had the, I had both of those as my favorite noises. Oh. There's a spada-dam and a 
Spadam! <laughs> it is subtle, but I'm pretty sure those are D's, not O's. So I think actually the way that you read it would make more sense. It is probably a laser would make more of a noise. But I like it way better. And I, I'm pretty sure those are actually, you can see the hard line at the beginning of it. Uh, I'm pretty sure those are spadam and spadam. Oh, harsh. That's a cyborg getting shot in the back, too. Uh huh. Not, not cool. All right. What'd you have for a sound? Uh, the other one that I had, I had both of those. I had one on the previous page, page six. Generally, we, we've seen pretty consistent. Starbolt noises from both Starfire and her sister. Lots of screes. Lots of screes and breaks mm -hmm. from the evil one. But we get a really fun one from Starfire, and it's Sprackabam. <laughs> and I really like a Sprackabam. Mm -hmm. It's just fun. It's like maybe the bam is the like sonic boom part of following the Sprack. Oh, totally. Mm. And also. Sounds like it could totally be the name of a ska band. Despite not having the word ska in the name, mm -hmm. I totally would have gone and seen Sprackabam. Mm -hmm. With Bim Open, Scalabim. Yeah, opening for Skavuvi. <laughs> Bim Scalabim. Mm -hmm. Very good. Do you have any others? Yeah, I had a, a couple others. I had a, a Poom. Poom is fun. On page nine. And uh, just a good old sploosh <laughs> on page ten. Yep. Pretty good. That was the sisters coming out of the water. Mm -hmm. Yep. Starfire's triumphant ascent <laughs> from the depths of uh, Seven Falls. Wait, that wouldn't have been on page 10. From the depths of some other body of water on Tamarin? They're, I don't think they're even on Tamarin. They're still on the Citadel there. What? Yeah. Yeah, they're on the Citadel homeworld. They get taken to Tamarin for the fight. Where's that all that water coming from? I don't know. I guess the Citadel homeworld's got some water that isn't frozen. As has been discussed, neither of us is a geographist. Mm-mm. Or a geologist. Or a cartographist. None of the above. Agreed. Sploosh! Let's talk about some clothes. Okay, sartorially speaking, Corey, what you want to talk about? I have two things, and I don't know which is cooler or goofier. Okay. But I also have two. I wonder if either of them are the same. That would be curious. My first one is Zahal, before she's a god. Her hat? Her hat and her just whole like battle get up, but especially the hat with the teeth or whatever those yeah. things are. It's as though Atuma's hat was actually fucking dope and yeah. maybe had been like made out of metal. Mm. She's got her head inside some kind of a metal skull mm -hmm. type situation. Like a brother blood type thing too. Yep. Seen a fair amount of it in these comics. This Thank is definitely that. the most badass looking though. Yep. It's a yeah, metal helmet that's carved out of some kind of alien skull with horns and shit on it. Just straight up space Viking warrior. Also elegant, though. Yeah, really cool. Hippolyta has like a similarly badass helmet, mm -hmm. but this one is a little bit more like, no, I don't just fight dragons, I kill them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I liked it a lot. There's also another dude in the same panel that we don't learn his name, but he's got a similar mm -hmm. version of the armor. So I guess that's just how Zahalans like to dress. Mm -hmm. But pretty good. Pretty tough. Conversely, we get Starfire's dad's beard. Yep. <laughs> yep, they're the exact same ones, man. I had the, the whole thing, like her dad especially, but mom and dad together, like just had this, I want to say like 70s outer space look. 
Yeah, he her dad is like straight up like space Alan Moore. Like he's (laughs) got like the giant wizard beard, but he's got his beard French braided, Mm -hmm. and it's not a good look. Nope. You you look at him and you're like, yeah, he sold his daughter into slavery. That that sounds about right. It's down to his navel. It's not good. It's exposed navel. It's extremely not good. <laughs> no, the whole look is just goofy as hell. I, I think he's got a similar French braid going on in the back, too. But, like, just the bottom part of his hair, right? Because he's yeah. got an impressive... Yeah, he's got, a, like, boof. an impressive, like, boof of hair, like, lion's mane of hair before it gets to that. So, really, I think he just hasn't French braided it in a while. He French braided it and then just let it grow out for a couple of months. That's gross. You gotta undo and then rebraid that shit. Don't be lazy. Come on, man. That's your beard you're talking about. You're the planet's leader. Fucking have a little self-respect. Re-French braid your hair every couple of days. <laughs> you tell him. You tell him, Hub. It's a bad luck. <laughs> it is a bad luck. That's funny that we had the same choices. It totally is. <laughs> well spotted. Did you have a timestamp or a show and tell? I had a both. Oh, man, you're lapping me lately on this stuff. I had only a timestamp. Why don't you start with your show and tell, and then we'll see how our timestamps line up. Well, it's a bit of a cheat in that I wrote down everything Demonia says. That is fair. And it is pointed out by Beast Boy, again, her self-narration. Yep. And I like that it is her undoing, and I like that it is canon. I think it's kind of ironic that Beast Boy is the one who calls her on it when he does the same shit. Yep, yep. She's a real external processor. Uh-huh. They have a lot in common, really. Mm. Like, I know he says he doesn't want to go on a date with her, but I feel like... I mean, granted, she's evil. But, you know, as MC Scat Cat taught us, opposites attract. <laughs> um, and, I mean... Outside of their moral alignment, they both like to turn into different green animals. Mm -hmm. They both like to Mm self-narrate. They're both, I think, probably more than a little unsure of themselves. Mm -hmm. I think they make a good couple. Mm. What could go wrong? (laughs) Well, she would almost certainly eat and kill him. Yeah. Right. What was your (laughs) timestamp? I had two timestamps. As did I. I would suspect they're the same ones. Both are from Beast Boy, yes? Yes. My favorite of the two was the Doug Henning reference. Mm-hmm. And then there is a Rodney Dangerfield yep, reference. I had the same. Thinking of Doug Henning makes me laugh a little bit. So I liked that one better. Both of them have kind of a reek of desperation to them. In that it makes sense as Beast Boy dialogue if you read them in that, okay, this is what Beast Boy's doing. He's just kind of being desperate and isn't very funny, but keeps trying to make jokes anyway. Mm-hmm. But it's the kind of joke that you see pop up in like, say, a Robin Hood men in tights or something where it's just like, uh, this is a reference. Yeah, it's not funny. Like, mm. I get that you're making a reference like this is something that's happening right now. Yes, it is. What do you want me to do with that information? Specifically, the thing I'm thinking of in Robin Hood Men in Tights is there's the character that's supposed to be the Kevin McAllister from Home Alone. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yep, yeah, you put a character from Home Alone. Home Alone is something that's happening right now. There's not actually a joke there. I think the the joke with the Rodney Dangerfield one was about he wasn't feeling respected, though. That is true. Pretty funny. It's not like he was... Rodney Dangerfield says I don't get no respect, so when I'm feeling disrespected, I'd be like, and I thought Rodney Dangerfield didn't get any respect. Mm -hmm. I think my point stands. (laughs) That's fair. And yeah, Doug Henning, 
he sees some magic, so he says, Doug Henning does magic. Doug Henning. Doug Henning's funny as hell. Both good timestamps. Yes, very much so. Every episode of a Teen Titans comic book has a Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, and also has a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans. In this episode, Corey, who was your Speedy? Gosh, I feel kind of bad about this, but I think I, again, had to go back to who accomplished what. Mm -hmm. And by that calculus, unless I'm forgetting something awesome that she did, Wonder Girl seemed to kind of do the least. I had the same choice. It starts off with White Guy, the leader of the Omega Men, Mm -hmm. saying, Well, Wonder Girl, you're probably pretty happy we've decided to rescue your teammates, huh? And she's like, yeah, I think it's great that you're doing that. But are you doing it because I want you to? Or are you doing it because you want to rescue Zahal? Who gives a shit? Mm-hmm. Which is what he says. Yeah. The result is the same. Right. Get but, I mean, like, why are you even bringing that up? Mm-hmm. Like, who, like, literally who gives a shit? Why? Yeah. It, it was a minor thing, and I, I gave it to Wonder Girl again. You're right, she didn't do a ton in the issue. I understand that she brought that up so that they could get some exposition. Mm-hmm. And that basically it was a tell me about Zahal mm-hmm. Primus, but uh, <laughs> Wonder Girl sounds like to you now. in this issue it was, <laughs> which is maybe why I gave her the speedy. Oh jeez, tell me about Zahal Primus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's kind of all she does. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I gave it to Wonder Girl. Although I did actually have a strong consideration to giving it to Cyborg. He, he does a really good job of fighting and demonstrates his strength and has kind of a Superman-y type line almost with like, I'm always holding everything back. It feels kind of good to be able to cut loose for once in my life. Mm-hmm. But I also was really uncomfortable with the extent to which they kind of gave him some kind of alien bloodlust going on. And really it was that one scene in which he's like, I got to take care of something first. I gotta go kill this dude that we've never seen before for no apparent reason. Mm -hmm. After I have said that, like, oh, I guess I'm okay with killing people in this situation, as long as they're alien people. Yeah, I I don't know how far that extends itself. I don't know if when he gets back home, some of his buddies are aliens. Like, Starfire's an alien. Like, Superman's an alien. It's kind of uncomfortable. That makes sense. Conversely, who did you have as your Aqualad? Well, I made a choice and then I changed it. Okay. And that was because the way that I wrote my choice down sounded suddenly awful once I had written it down because I wrote Starfire for killing her sister. <laughs> I had the same choice for the same reason. But then I was but, like, nope. But I, it was honestly, it was a difficult choice because a bunch of people did real, real good in this issue. Honestly, I thought Robin did great. I really enjoyed a lot of his dialogue in this. I thought there was actually some really good character building towards Robin mm-hmm. in this issue. I, I liked him a lot, and he fought really hard and demonstrated the bonsai of a human being that he is that mm-hmm. Batman created. Yep. I thought that Beast Boy did a really good job, despite having some weird fucking dialogue. He rescued his teammates and did some cool shape-shifty shit mm-hmm. and talked about Doug Henning. Yeah, and that's mostly why I changed my vote to Beast Boy, because he turned into five different animals. Pretty good. And all of them were utilized excellently. Yeah. And he didn't give up, and when all of his teammates were getting beat up real bad, he Uh said, it's up to me now, and he didn't spiral into self-doubt. Yeah. He turned into an elephant. Yep. And uh, fucked things up in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. And turned into a fly. Or a spider. A spider. Mm Mm-hmm. 
What was your favorite animal that he turned into? Oh, octopus. Octopus is the best animal. My favorite scene of him turning into an animal is when he turned into the horsey and had uh, Demonia ride him away. Mm -hmm. That was cute. Yeah, that was pretty cute. Yeah. I had Starfire as my favorite. I mean, it's a Starfire story. Mm-hmm. Like the these three issues, and this is the one where she really gets to cut loose, and much of the issue is a battle scene between her and her sister, and she overcomes some shit, and she didn't really kill her sister. Her sister killed herself in battle. I mean, it wasn't Starfire Starbolt that blew up her sister. Yeah, and the thing is, too, I the way that they... Oh, she's not dead. Yeah, she can't no, be No, anybody in comic books, you don't see their body, they're not dead. Mm-hmm. You, you'll find a scrap of clothing and say, like, well, she must be dead. Yep. Here's the thing, if she's not dead, then Zahal sacrificed herself for no reason. Because the planets weren't going to blow up. They were going to blow up if one of them died. Oh, shit, man. So, bad job, Zahal. Whoa. Maybe you're the speedy. Maybe so. <laughs> Dang. That's a good point. Thank you. Yep. What was your favorite panel? Oh, man. Once again... The art in this is crazy detailed and super well executed. It's it, beautiful. It's great. And I don't think either of us commented on it yet, but the cover is fucking rad, too. It's done in a different technique than we're used to seeing. I, I'm not sure if it's a painting or some kind of, like, charcoal or pastel, but it's it's really cool looking. Yep. And, yeah, looks really different than we're used to seeing on these covers. But, yeah, the artwork was absolutely gorgeous throughout. This issue felt like a special event. Mm-hmm. And it was. So great job on the annual to both Wolfman and Perez. Agreed. Yeah, real space opera epic sister fight. Yeah, like really, I got super sucked into the story in this one and swept along in it. Mm -hmm. And as I said, I was maybe a little bit feverish, but it made me cry a little at the end. It was very sweet. Um, Younger siblings are really much more emotional. emotional. (laughs) (laughs) So true. Yeah, what was your favorite panel? Sorry. It's hard to narrow it down. On page three, that opening spread um, is just amazing. So artwork-wise... Yeah, just the double splash page fight. There's so much going on, and it's so well-rendered and so cool and so dynamic. Everybody's doing their own thing. You've got an octopus on the panel, which is definitely to its benefit. Everybody's doing their thing. Everybody's having their thoughts, and it is all framed around Starfire attacking her sister. And it's really, really good. Mm -hmm. I had one that's not a favorite panel, but it it was a really confusing panel to me. Maybe you can help shed some light on page 22, where it appears as though Blackfire's feet have turned upside down to kick her sister in the crotch. Yeah, I didn't even catch that. That That is some weird foot stuff going on in that picture. (laughs) It is. I cannot shed light on it other than perhaps in one of the various fight scenes. Okay. Okay, I've just I've just ratconned this. <laughs> Both of these sisters have very rapid healing powers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We, we've talked about that earlier, that it was demonstrated in Starfire when they were torturing her and how quickly she recovered from it and that it, she never succumbed to it. Mm-hmm. Blackfire has similar healing capabilities. Not quite Wolverine level, but still pretty good. We also see that there's a bunch of Tamaranian wildlife around at the base of the previous page, including a snake. Uh-huh. That snake was venomous. It bit her foot and it swelled up on the top of the foot in a weird way. Both feet. Both feet. She got bit on both feet by snakes. Um, and it made them swell up in a way that uh, really made them look weird and 
put like heels of it looks almost as though heels of feet are on the top of her ankles yes when she kicks her sister in the vagina that is a weird panel it is a weird panel but then her feet the swelling went down after a few of, seconds because of, of her healing okay well thank you for the illumination no problem happy to help perhaps my favorite panel is the one in which the snake bite happened on page 21 <laughs> And it's just a full page battle scene between the two sisters. And I don't really know how to explain it. It's something that happens in comic books. There are like five different scenes on a single page of them engaging in a staff battle. And it's just really, really cool looking. It's clear that it is one continuous fight scene that is happening. But the environment around them stays static, which makes it look like they're just both moving very quickly. And... It's great, and I really liked it. Nice. The other one that I liked is another one where it's it's a weird comic book technique that we're not used to seeing, but it's really well executed, and it's part of the flashback in which Wonder Girl is being taught about Zahal. White guy and space witch are sharing the good news mm-hmm. about Zahal, and there's just this one scene where all of the flashback panels where we learn about the past the edges are rounded on mm-hmm. so that we can see that it's a flashback. And then when it will show them talking about her, the edges will have square bottoms. But there's one scene in the middle of it where there is a round-edged panel that is just a close-up of Zahal's eyes after she has been transformed into a radiation evil god. Mm-hmm. And there is a face of either space witch or white guy coming out of each side of the panel space witch on the left and white guy on the right and it's just really cool looking they're talking about her and what is happening in time and it's almost like one of those is this a vase or two faces talking to each other i actually called the panel talking time vase um but It's just a really cool storytelling technique, and it totally works. And it's one of those things that sounds awkward to explain, but when you look at it, it makes sense. Like you were saying, you hadn't noticed that the flashback panels, the edges were rounded. I don't think I noticed it consciously the first time around, Mm. but upon re-examining it, it's like, oh yeah, that's why that conveyed that feeling. It just happens subconsciously where you recognize these cues, and I really liked the way it was done. The graphic elements, the graphic design is really good. Yeah, the panel layout throughout this issue is really inventive and really, it works. You you read it and you intuitively know what order to read things in and how it happens, but it's still creative and inventive in a way that's really fun. Uh, agreed. Do you have I, any other panels? <clears throat> yeah, I think one which injected some much-needed levity for me personally was on page four. And there's a panel in which Robin really looks to me like Bruce Lee from Enter the Dragon when he's making the, the oh, yeah the fight oh. noise. He totally does. Yeah, he's just used his stolen blaster baton to nunchuck a Branksian warrior. He's totally making a Bruce Lee stance. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. I think that's everything except for what is Aqualad probably up to or Wapoot. Now, this is an annual, so we have all of 1982 to choose from. We could have just gone with assuming that it was linear from the storytelling and gone with the following month, but we're going to hit that month up the next time. Mm -hmm. I figure it's an annual. We've got all of 1982. In 1982, what was something that Aqualad was probably up to? Well, in this particular instance, 
we find the poor lad recovering from what is perhaps aptly describable as the mother of all hangovers. Oh, dear. And it really ties back into his innocence. Yeah. As a character. Beaky has nothing to do with it. What? Yeah, I know. Weird. <laughs> yeah. But it turns out that 1982 was a hell of a year for things being released to market, especially a bunch of things that begin with the letter C. Ooh. Now, Corey, what are some things that begin with the letter C? Well, in particular, beverages. Oh, I think that begins with a B. Certain beverages that begin with the letter C. So Aqualad has gone to the store. Okay. And just was looking for some different things to try. And had picked up um, some caffeine-free Pepsi. Okay. Which came out that year. Sure. Chambord. Oh. Which he bought because it looks fucking badass, but it's really terrible cranberry liqueur. It's useful as an ingredient in things. I will say that. By itself, yes. Aqualad will disagree with you. <laughs> because he mixed that... With oh, the Pepsi. wait, he's had a Chambord and caffeine-free Pepsi? And also that year, Crystal Light came out. Oh my god, that's a terrible drink. And he thought, adventurous lad that he is, oh, I'll just try them all together. Oh boy, I bet Aqualad is particularly susceptible to the Crystal Light throat. You know, when <laughs> yeah. you open up the Crystal Light and you inhale it, and Poof. it's just like... <laughs> yep. I bet that totally dries out the back of his throat even worse than it did ours when my mom was yeah. super into crystal light. God, I remember that, the pink one when you open oh, it. Like, God. it gets in your sinuses, too. It's not bad. It's one of those where it's like, well, this is as close to a sugar drink as we're allowed to have, so mm-hmm. I want to drink it. It's not good. It's not good. And it always burns the back of your throat. Like, it does when it's in liquid form, too. Yeah. It's, it's weird stuff. Yeah. And that's partly what contributed to him drinking way too much of this concoction. And as with most alcoholic beverages, after the first one, the second one seems like a pretty good idea. And isn't quite as bad as the first one. Etc. Etc. Oh, boy. Hangover. Plus, he, I would imagine, the, the way he drinks water, he mm-hmm. probably can consume a lot of beverages very quickly. Sure. Doesn't have a C-strengthened liver. Nope. <laughs> Poor fella. Yeah. And that is what Aqualad was probably up to? Yep. Well, I can see why he needed to unwind with some beverages, because he had a very, very stressful, but very important incident happen in December of that year. So possibly he was not hungover yet. Let's reverse (laughs) the time on that. But in December, he was contacted by his buddy, the Atom. Mm. who had a very important scientific journey for him to go on. He went on a real, was it the Fantastic Voyage, the one where to go inside the body? That sounds right. Incredible Journey. One of those is, no, Incredible Journey is, that's the dogs that travel across country, right? (laughs) I I don't know. Okay. Well, anyway, he had a real inner space of a time. (laughs) Okay, there we go. Because he was instrumental in the first artificial heart transplant. Oh, Jarvis. Yeah, Jarvik. Jarvik. Jarvis is a different guy. Oh, that's the AI from Intel. It didn't do well. Uh, it was also the Avengers Butler. Oh. Yeah. I wonder if that's why the Intel guys named it that. Probably. Cool. Yeah. That would be one way to describe that. <laughs> but yeah, the Jarvik 7, the first artificial heart, they thought, you know, we, we think the surgery is going to go good, but uh, if we could have somebody swimming around in his blood and keeping an eye on things on a tiny level and making sure there are no molecular level miscues happening. So the atom and Aqualad shrunk down to tiny size. And mm-hmm. then Aqualad, because he's like the best at swimming, mm-hmm. 
I mean, I guess Aquaman's pretty good, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes Jimmy Olsen, if he gets see king powers okay (laughs) i just read a really weird old episode of superman's pal jimmy olsen in which he became the king of the sea no kidding it was pretty good okay but he swims around and he supervises things that are happening on the jarvik 7 everything goes pretty well and the uh, retired dentist barney bailey clark ended up i mean Partial success, perhaps, but he lived 122 days with this artificial heart in him, and it was the first successful artificial heart transplant. Hmm. And Aqualad played a big role in that, as did Ray Palmer, the Atom. So he felt pretty good about that, and then he decided he was going to swim around the Pacific for a little bit. And who was he running to when he was there? Jimmy Olsen? No. Sylvester Stallone and Carl Weathers, who were filming Rocky Three. Ha! They're on the beach frolicking. Aww. And he's like, oh, you guys going to frolic in the ocean? I'll show you how to frolic in the ocean. You know the ocean frolic scene from the end of the training montage in Rocky Three? Of course. Yeah. yeah. Do you know, it's maybe 20 seconds on screen that that went on for, the frolicking part. Mm-hmm. That was culled from over four days of nonstop frolicking <laughs> with Carl Weathers, Sylvester Stallone, and Aqualad. Uh. They are still... Best friends to this day. Dang. Yeah. They left that gold on the editing room floor. I know. I know. I think they were thinking they could save it for a sequel. The (laughs) Frolicking. And that is what Aqualad was probably up to for part of 1982. Nice. The Frolicking was was, uh, saved for the Highlander sequel. though. Exactly. (laughs) Man, that was a pretty sweet frolic too. Which is your preferred frolic? The Rocky Three frolic or the the Frolicking from Highlander? Feel the (laughs) stag. I gotta go with Sean Connery on that one. Oh boy! See, I just love that Rocky Three frolic because it comes that they both come out of nowhere. It is, you know, they're and they're both yeah, it's very joyous. They're both very joyous frolics. It, it's close. I am going with Rocky Three, but I completely agree. Sean Connery <laughs> makes that frolicking. Yep. I also just love really quickly. Can we talk about the fact that the dynamic in the Highlander is you have Christopher Lambert playing. The Scottish Highlander mm-hmm. and Sean Connery playing. Spanish guy. Was he? He was Spanish, not Egyptian. Oh, I can't remember. I can't remember either if he was Spanish <laughs> or Egyptian. But either way, he was not Scottish, and he was the one with the Scottish accent. And Christopher Lambert clearly had a French accent. Yeah, pretty great. Thank you so much for joining us on this special New Teen Titans episode for the first annual of the New Teen Titans. This episode and the Waput segment in general are made possible by our generous Patreon donors. So if you are one of them, thank you very much. And if you are not one of them, thank someone who is. Or, hey, here's an idea. You can become one by donating to us at patreon.com backslash ttwasteland for all your giving us money needs. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. As Mm -hmm. we discussed, I loved this issue. I feel like the series itself is really, I know we're 25 issues in and it's been good throughout, but I feel like it's really finding its feet right now and I'm enjoying that. And yeah, we will be back with the Defenders issue next week, which is the start of the Steve Gerber run, which is when shit gets real fucking weird. You know how the Defenders has been pretty weird so far? Mm-hmm. I think up until then, it's been a superhero book that's weird. I think from this point forward, it starts being a weird book that has superheroes in it. Excellent. Yeah, you're in for some some oddity coming up. 
yeah, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. If you'd like to get into touch with us, you'll have to wait for our new podcast, Getting Into Touch with, with Hub and Corey. <laughs> In which we explore tactile sensation. We're on Twitter and Facebook and iTunes and Apple Podcasts. And if you can leave us a review places, I'd appreciate that. Tell people about us. Uh, spread the word on any social media platforms or in person to people. It's a nice thing to do, and uh, we love doing this podcast and want to make sure we keep doing it. So spread the word, man. Yeah. And we will talk to you next week. Thank you. Sprack-a-bam! Goodbye. Spud-a-dam! Bam! Bam! (laughs) (laughs) And they knew it. If you'd like to get into touch with us, you will have to wait for our upcoming podcast, Getting Into Touch with, with Hub us. and Corey. Oh, oh, again. We did it backwards the last time. Yeah, I know. Let's do it again. Okay. Which one do you want to say? I with think us? Hub and Corey is okay. good. You'll have to wait for our upcoming podcast, Getting Into Touch with Hub and Corey. Oops. <laughs> Can I say the with part? You can. Okay. Okay. You ready? Yep. Getting into touch. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you want to try again? Yep. Okay.